At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. feeling that I've spent nine-tenths of my life with a pair of cans on my head, and this is the worst pair I've ever had. <laughs> right, well, let's try this other pair, this little pair that came with our Tinker Toy set here. Yeah, try this pair. Oh, what terrible cans. Hello, hello. Oh, what a difference. Holy smokes. Throw these out, will you? These came with that little toy uh, Via John gambling set. You know, they come out. You, are you aware that you can now buy a disc jockey kit for kids? Oh, yeah, you know, with a little, uh, little set of uh, neoprene bad commercials that say, act now if you're not satisfied your money back. The whole set of these are terrible. No, get me another. There's another set of uh, trim dependables, a double head set of trim dependables. This set of uh, trim here is awful. Uh, hey, did you hear? It's a very peculiar experience being interviewed by Barry Farber. I can, it really is. Did you hear it tonight? Barry looks at you with an intensity that is matched only by the inner core of Vesuvius about to go off. He bores right... You know, speaking of uh, being interviewed, uh, this is so friendly Fred here tonight, and uh, we're here tonight and uh, <laughs> uh, dealing with the, the problems. And uh, one of the problems is, I think... And, and this is something I, I don't quite understand yet. It has not been explained to me. A growing, it's uh, even in my own mind, I can't quite uh, put the, uh, the things together, what, what is causing it. You know, there's a growing, peculiar kind of galloping disbelief that people have in our country. In everything they hear. Can you explain that to me seriously? Like anything that a politician says is ridiculous political talk and obviously not true. Uh, you know, you've heard that said many times. Yeah, there we go. There's the good ones. Now I'll put these on. Uh, 
And the simplest statements today are are uh, are, are challenged. For example, I have received a large number of letters from people. Oh, I won't say a large number, but enough to make it significant from people who seem to doubt that I even went to Peru. Now, why would why would somebody come on with a whole big shlomo about going to Peru and going to the to the headhunter country of Peru and so on? And it's all just a figment of your imagination. Now, I'm going to read a letter here from a person here. It says, uh, "Dear Mr. Shepherd, I was terribly sorry." Now, the only reason I'm doing this is to uh, make a point about this peculiar kind of growing disbelief that is galloping throughout our society. You know, I have guys come up to me uh, after I do a limelight show, and they'll they'll come up and say, "Oh, come on now, Shep. Now, come on, tell me, oh, come on, just level with us. You never really lived in Indiana. Oh, why would I invent <laughs> living in Indiana? I can't comprehend this, and so I don't know quite what to say about that." Uh, guys will come up and they'll say, uh, oh, come on, Shep. You, you never really were a White Sox fan, were you? Well, I'll admit that's hard to believe that anyone would be a White Sox fan. But nevertheless, they'll ask you that as though you've somehow invented this, you know, that you were a White Sox fan. You invented the fact. So I, I, I often will ask somebody a question. I say, well, where do you think I was? Where did I come from? I mean, didn't come from Indiana. What do you think? Why do you think I would have invented that? And they sort of look funny look and they say oh well come on why don't you just come out you know watch your watch your level i say okay trenton i'm from trenton they say oh yeah well all right fellow why you just say it all the way you know <laughs> that's the end of that so i don't know i'm just curious about that problem and i can understand why politicians must be frustrated when they'll come on and i'm not saying all politicians tell the truth i'm not saying that nor do uh, nor does anybody tell all the truth about himself this is a fact but I, I can understand the the, the, the fast uh, the, the, the fast galloping feeling of frustration that a politician must feel if he gets up and he says, you know what I want to do? I want to do something about the Pullman cars. And somebody says, oh, come on, Charlie. Why don't you? Why the politician? And he might really want to do it, you know. And, and it, it's, just a, it's just part of our great growing, softly falling cynicism. You want to hear that letter? There's a letter here. This is obviously an intelligent type person. It says, I was terribly sorry that you did not make that trip to the Amazon basin in Peru. I told my husband how nice Gene Shepard is going to Peru. And he has asked all his faithful to say goodbye to him at the Pan American or whatever it is. And he does need a tape recorder and so on. Oh, said my husband, it's very nice that he can make such a trip. However, Saturday night you were heard at the limelight and not in Lima, Peru. This is not humor. We went along with Australia. See, obviously, she doesn't believe I even went to Australia. We went along with Australia. But will we go along with what you had to say about all those birds, snakes, and flora in the upper valleys? Oh, no. The botanical gardens in the Bronx could well have used your good offices. Now, what is, why is this? I, there are a dozen uh, listeners who continually write me letters who feel deep down inside that what I do is go to different uh, libraries and read up on a country and come on and do a whole series of shows about them. I don't know why that is. Uh, they, they, and, and I know that nothing I can say on here uh, and tonight will convince them that this is not so. They will say, oh, well, come on. Of course you could, you'd have to come back and say that you did it. But uh, come on now. We know. We know better. And it goes on. I, and I, I don't care whether they do or not because it's trivial in my case. And I admit it. However, this must be 
really a discouraging thing uh, with people who are genuinely involved in something very important. And I think this is a, a growing, uh, fascinating uh, trend in our country. You know, speaking of trends, it's uh, every season... Uh, oh, the person is probably going to say, well, why did I hear the limelight? I, I repeated during the limelight show at least a dozen times. I put tapes on the show that I was recorded and that it was an old show. And uh, I said that I was recorded for all the time I was down in Peru. But nevertheless, uh, there I'm sure there's a sizable body of people who feel that this was all invented. Obviously invented, and it's, it's one of those things. So... Uh, you know, speaking of, maybe it's because there's creeping showbiz-ism in our world. By creeping showbiz-ism, uh, I mean not necessarily Barbara Streisand appearing down the street in the show. That's an obvious piece of showbiz. But the feeling that almost everything that is in life is engineered. It's planned that way. Uh, I, I know large numbers of people who really believe that any time there's a depression, they cause it to be. Uh, anytime there's a war, they have worked us into this war. They've engineered it for their purposes, whatever it might be. Uh, and so uh, I guess that must let small people off the hook uh, who feel that, they're, that they basically are very good and there are these evil people who are engineering the problems in the world to bug them or to take advantage of them or to exploit them, the good people of the world. Uh, I guess this is the... This is another part of that, of course. It, it started about 1950. I, I, you can almost pinpoint it with uh, phony spotting-ism. Uh, almost every kid from about 1950 on, and now they're the adults, of course, of our time, believes that they're infallible phony spotters. This all goes back to Holden Caulfield and Catcher in the Rye, who could spot a phony just by the way he walked from a mile and a half away. And just assume that everybody was a phony but himself and his very close friends, especially if it was his kid sister. Uh, so that's an easy way, I guess, to spot phonies. Just call everybody a phony and just let it go at that, and then you can't miss, you know. Uh, everybody except people who believe the way you believe. They're not phonies. They're deep thinkers. But uh, this this is a, a, a kind of a gr outgrowth of our world. And, you know, uh, every season... Uh, you see more and more the, the, the slow in, uh, build up of this, this engineering of things, and maybe this is why people are getting a little cynical, perhaps. I, I saw, uh, I, I tuned in on a football game the other day. The first football, I knew I was back home and I knew, I knew the nutty season had begun. I don't think the nutty season is particularly the summer anymore. They used to say it was the nutty season. But I think the nutty season begins about September 1st. Uh, it begins about Labor Day and goes on. Very few things are nuttier in our world than the football season. I think this is where you begin to see some of the really galloping uh, idiocies of our time. And and I turned on I turned on the TV sh uh, set there and it was just on. It turned on and there is a big college football game, and I am looking at six. Cheerleaders. How many of you saw this Saturday, the big TV football show that was on? And there are six college cheerleaders, and they're up on a platform, these chicks. And, of course, they're being picked up in color, widescreen, the whole bit on TV. And they're up on a, on a platform, and they are choreographed now. You know, uh, cheerleaders don't lead cheers anymore. They are now a, a chorus line. 
And they're out there, and, and the band, somewhere off in the distance, I presume it was a band, although it could very well have been a tape of Henry Mancini and his orchestra being played into the PA system. The band is playing, Oh, there's no business like show business. There's no business I know. And these six sexy chicks are going through the most intricate choreography I've seen since, a, since that turkey of a, of a Broadway musical that I was in a couple of years ago folded quietly in Toronto and limped into town and was shot down by every critic. But <laughs> nevertheless, these, these, uh, these chicks were not any more cheerleaders than, than, a, than the chorus line uh, at the Hello Dolly are leading the cheers in the audience, are they? I don't know. They, and, and the audience was not doing anything. I, I, I looked to see whether, you know, what they were doing, whether there were guys cheering or anything. And the, and the crowd, the sitting there in the cheering section, just quietly sat in their hands and watched it. And these chicks are going, oh, there's no business like show business. And, and I thought, well, all right, now it's come full circle. That, uh, that even the guy who used to go to the football game to yell his lungs out, is really out of place now because he would be interfering with the choreography. He would be, <laughs> really, during the cheers. And what were they applauding? They were applauding a touchdown by their team. Uh, they were out there dancing like mad. I thought, gee, what a great, what a great choreographer. Jerome Robbins, I think, had a hand in that choreography. And, and then I heard, I heard even more than that, there's a football team now in the, in the East, by the way, where where you can go to the empty stadium. Now, if we think that the headhunters have curious and strange, uh, exotic tribal rituals, I just wonder what a Peruvian Chapra Indian would think watching six girls dancing in front of a crowd after somebody has lugged the ball over a goal line. Well, all right, that's, that's okay. We can understand it's a game. But get this one now. Do you know that one of the colleges locally has opened its stadium on the days that they're playing away from home. You can come to the stadium and sit in the stadium, <laughs> the empty stadium, while the game is being played, let's say, 500 miles away. And while you're sitting in the stadium, uh, they apparently either put the game on television down there in the middle of the field, or else they bring it in by radio. I don't know what it is. But whenever somebody does something, you can cheer and it will be picked up by microphones and be broadcast in the stadium 500 miles away. I'm sorry. I'm uh, Wait a minute now. I have the clipping here about it. It's, I'm not inventing it. Again, everyone's going to say, you're not. You're inventing it. So can you imagine what would happen if I took Tariri from the Chopra tribe and I took him to this stadium, the empty stadium. Remember, there's no game going on there. And this crowd of, of, of people are sitting huddled in their overcoats with their flasks and their, you know, their signs they're holding up, go Rutgers or whatever it is, you know. And they're all sitting there in the, in the quiet silence of an empty stadium. And down in front of them is a cheerleader. And sure enough, uh, Joe Wisnowski plunges over from the two, makes the score 12 to 8. And immediately they burst out with, oh, one, two, three, four, rock, 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 R-U-T-G-E-R-S, Rutgers, 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 rah. <laughs> and they're sitting there, not at the game, and they're picking it up, and they're rebroadcasting it, I suppose, by delayed loop, all, all the way out there in Syracuse or wherever the game is being played. Now, I, I, I don't know how I could explain that to him, nor do I know how he could explain it to his tribe if he got back there. Speaking of strange tribal totems, this is WORAM at FM New York. Hit the uh, button in there very fast there. Gentlemen, we're talking to the 2,500-year-old brewmaster about some of the great people in history. 
Now, as you know, sir, Ballantine beer has more spirit to it. And it seems to me you must have known many spirited people who would have really enjoyed Ballantine. I knew little Billy Shakespeare. He was so spirited that you had to hold him down to write. He would fly around the room. You had to throw paper up in the air to keep him busy. That's a, But he wasn't a good writer, you know. He wasn't? No, he had terrible penmanship. Nobody knows this. See, I read the first folios. They're all full of ink blots. The ideas were good, yes, but the penmanship was terrible. But he really was a spirited little guy, Billy Shakespeare. And had he lived instead of died, he would have appreciated a beer with such joy and spirit like Ballantine. Ha ha. If you want to start living a life that's livelier, live it with spirit. Ballantine beer. There's more spirit to it. Yes, sir, that's my baby. No, sir, don't mean maybe. Yes, sir, that's my baby now. Uh, we've got all kinds of junk here. You know, uh, perhaps you've wondered why uh, it's almost impossible to do a coherent radio show these days with, uh, with the newspaper strike. And uh, the reason being is that somewhere along the line, we've gotten the idea that we should read all these columns of these various columnists, and it's not easy to build a mood about a certain thing in a, in a certain way, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the show, break off and start talking about the elections in Germany. However, tonight, I have been given, let's see, before we do this, I'll, I'll play a couple of these commercials, and that's another thing, you're going to have to go along with it. Uh, during the newspaper strike, of course, 18 million advertisers come on who just aren't around. Uh, during the time when there's newspapers on the stands. And so you're going to have to go along with that. Uh, you know, speaking of newspaper strikes, it's, it's, it's surprising to me, at least in my own case, because I'm a, a newspaper reader, how quickly you get used to not reading a newspaper. I don't miss the newspaper much, really. That's a terrible thing to say. Everyone pretends he does, I think, but I don't notice that many people going around with a sad look in their eye because they don't read Earl Wilson now, you know, and find out what Mimi Benzel is doing and, and you know, to, to learn what the latest comment that Betty Davis made at Ciro's to some yuck. Uh, I, I just don't, uh, you know, I just don't, I don't miss it really, do you? Seriously, you'd be surprised at the, un, at the uncluttered look of, of a native of Lima, Peru, who has never once read Leonard Lyons. He just sits there and looks as happy as anybody else. It's hard to believe it, you know? In our, in our showbiz world, it really is very difficult to, to accept the fact that the things which we consider of primary and gigantic importance just do not cause a ripple anywhere else in the world. Just absolutely don't make it. Uh, this, this, uh, particularly our hang-up, I think we're far more hung up on movie stars we're far more involved in that kind of jazz, as we think it's real news. We're far more hung up on that stuff, I think, than any place else in the world, with the possible exception of France. Uh, to me, France is also a, a, a country that's movie nutty. Uh, uh, the, the slightest comment that Brigitte Bardot makes, it's a big headlines, you know. Simone Signore gets up in the morning as a headache, and there are mel med medical bulletins all day long on the radio with, with serious French announcers standing in the rain holding microphones. And talking to doctors, you know, uh, and and all the while, all the while, uh, Algeria disappears into the dark somewhere, often off in the distance. But this is this is part of our world, you know. You have to you have to accept it. And I, I well, maybe you don't accept it. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. And uh, 
But it's it's a world that, that who invented it? You know, we have a feeling that Madison Avenue invented it. I don't think so. I think I think they're just as much a part of it as we are. You know, speaking of uh, of of this world of, of uh, I hate to use the word showbiz, fantasy is a better word. Uh, somebody wrote me a note, and he brought up a very good point, and uh, I'm going to read part of it here. And uh, he says, uh, he's talking about uh, some things he did. He says, my topic is the swarm of fairy tales which recently have taken the form of TV commercials. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I did a show on the, on the idea that, have you noticed the great growing uh, trend in television shows to totally escape from reality? You know, you know the old idea that they used to use, the old term they used to use, uh, 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 an escape program? They used to talk about escapism, escape shows. And they used to sort of define any kind of a movie or anything that was popular was escape fiction. Well, now we're coming into the era of true escape fiction, where even the shows themselves have escaped from the basic realities of even theatrical conventionality. And so you'll find millions of people watching Flipper. Uh, you know, they're falling in love with a fish. You'll find millions of people watching a girl that comes out of a green bottle and carries a wand around and, and makes little funny passes over Ray Milan's head. Or you'll find, <laughs> yeah, more and more uh, shows are, are, are basing their premise on adult. Not, and they're not even really adult, I guess. But they're kind of a, a strange sort of involuted TV land fairy tale where you have thousands of magical people, the monsters, uh, people who, in, who inhabit a kind of Aladdin's cave. And it's, it's, uh, it's endless variations of Thorne Smith. Thorne Smith, you know, remember Thorne Smith? Any of you remember Thorne Smith? Well, he wrote naturally in the genre which has become almost standard today in television. The, the, the Never Never Land. And, and you'd have to include the, the Beverly Hillbillies in that. No hillbilly ever was anything like anybody in the Beverly Hillbillies, nor were any of the other people, the rich people, whatever it is that they're involved with, were never like that. So now we've got the scene where uh, a car talks to you. My mother, the car. Oh boy, talk about the trivia. You know, people are talking about the Red, Red Rider is trivia. Holy smokes, my mother, the car, is trivia beyond all comprehension. Uh, then there's another one, Ed the Talking Horse. I, I wonder who, who who sat and watched this uh, and, and said, gee, you know, good old Ed. Uh, I sure like Ed and, uh, got, and identified with Ed. Well, now, now this, 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 this listener points out at a very good point. He says, what about the new myths? He says, we must be a race that has an insensate hunger. He isn't, he isn't saying that. I'm saying this. Must have an insensate hunger for fairy tales, but we won't admit it. Now, if you talk to a, a grown-up person, said, "Would you like? Uh, do you like fairy tales? How about the uh, uh, the the woman in the shoe? How about that? You know, do you like uh, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz? And would you like a, a TV show? Uh, how about how about let's doing a Little Red Riding Hood?" He would laugh. He'd oh, come on, fairy tales—that's ridiculous kid stuff. And ten minutes later, he's sitting there watching Flipper. Ten minutes later, he's got on My Beautiful Blonde, whatever that thing is, or My Beautiful Doll. Or he's watching My Mother the Car and does not recognize it as a fairy tale, a genuine fairy tale. But one of the, one of the real fairy tale uh, areas, of course, is the commercial. They've always been fairy tales up to a point, but now they're using real fairies in them. 
No, that's not exactly what I mean. But they're they're using. I mean, what a rotten bunch of people out there! Right? Awful mind. Well, of course, that's a problem in showbiz, you know. But nevertheless, it's a. <laughs> My topic is the swarm of fairy tales which have taken the form of TV commercials. I'm reading this guy's letter. He says, has this just sprung up recently or has it always been so? I suspect the former. White knights writing about saving people in distress. Boom, you know, with the lance. Pow! White knights galloping all around the giant washing machine floors which turn to glass. Sudden changes of environment brought on by the intake of cigarette smoke. Magic floor cleaners. The word magic is ubiquitous in commercials. Oh, well, look, fella, one other thing, too, that you must realize that's ubiquitous in the commercial world. Nothing is the way it was the day before. All products are new. All products are new. Repeat that to yourself if you're going into the ad business. There's no such thing as an old, reliable product. There is only new, improved products. That's a very different concept. And I wonder what, what, I can't help but think myself, uh, you know, it just occurs to me, uh, every time I see a commercial that says this, I saw this commercial last night where the girl had this squeeze bottle, see, and it was something to do with a floor cleaner or something, or something to do with a water softener, right? you know, there's all, uh, millions of these, these products that do non-functional functions, you know, there are always things that make water soft or make uh, something fluffy or make something whiter, they don't, they're not really soap. They're not really uh, wax or cleaner, but they're always sort of additives. You put it into your wash, or you put it on the floor. One of the, you know, that those kind of things. And 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 the the uh, the boys kept saying, "Yes, buy Watanabe number seven. It's changed. Yes, Watanabe number seven is now changed. Yes, it's changed, folks." Well, I thought, what kind of crud were they selling us before? Have we been taken for years? All of a sudden now they've straightened up and now they made it into something that works. <laughs> and they kept saying, it's changed now. But they didn't say how it was changed. They never really say how these things are changed, nor how they are new. They constantly use, those are magic words. New, changed, improved, and of course, secret ingredient. Uh, this is a, uh, oh, incidentally, that is another phrase that's uh, constantly used and has been used for years that it contains a secret ingredient now the implication of course being that it's secret from all the under other manufacturers no actually the secret ingredient is secret only from the users it's used in all the other products of exactly the same kind they all know it but they don't tell you what it is sandpaper <laughs> I'm, still, I'm, I'm being honest with you I'm not inventing this They're often the term secret ingredient refers to an ingredient that is common to all the products of that type but one that they just don't talk about like lye <laughs> they just never tell you about it or goose grease or, or, or sure and, and they, they don't say now if they say an exclusive secret ingredient that means that they're on to <laughs> Then you're dead, you know. The exclusive secret ingredient means that it's an ingredient that all the other companies found out was useless and have done away with. This company is still sticking with it because they have not yet perfected their process or bought the machines which will get rid of goose grease. So it's we contain the exclusive ingredient DL27-96SJ7. Ask for it. It comes in the new improved squeeze bottle. And... <laughs> <laughs> it's all magic in a yard wide. Have you seen the girls that fly in the air? That's a pretty good crowd. Have you noticed that the witch that comes out? 
There's about nine witches now that appear on television. Now, I, I, of course, there have been witches on TV for years. I'll never forget that show called... What was that show called where those ladies sat around and talked? That was the first inclusion of witches on the air. You remember, oh, what, what do they call it, the witch talk? or What was the name of that? You remember when those sharp-looking ladies, all tall, nine feet tall, and they wore these Jacques Fath fashions, and they sat around and made nasty remarks about their friends on television? Everybody watched? And, and, you know, speaking of that, have you noticed the growing non-panel show? This is, the growing, uh, this is a growing new bit in, te- in late-night television especially, where five semi-known yucks who are all trying to plug their bad picture are invited to the studio and sit around and just uh, kibitz about how good they are and how wonderful they are and little in-talk about their friends and never even look at the audience anymore. They don't look at the audience camera. They'll say, oh, come on, Edie. What do you mean, huh? You know, Edie, the last time I saw you out of the hair, oh, come on, blah, blah. Well, okay, now don't look, Mickey. And they go on for hour and after hour after hour. And the, the MC or the moderator just sort of sits by and chuckles fondly and watches them. I saw a show that went on for 17 hours the other night like that, and they just broke that little coffee clutch up every five minutes for 13 commercials. And, and uh, this is the new type of non-panel show. And, uh, of course, there, there are large numbers of celebrities who don't do anything else anymore except appear on panel shows. Listen, oh, wow, I'm going to be in that position, too, unless I do a few of these commercials. You got a couple in there for me? Hit the thing there, Dad. There we go. Is this ore box? Holy sm- now, don't close my mic all the time like that, fella. I'm on the air here. Come and take a store-wide tour through romantic Italy at Gimbel's. All New York has fallen in love with Gimbel's Italia Romantica. Every floor has taken on the atmosphere and characteristics of a famous Italian city. I wonder if they are blowing through the air conditioning system there what most famous Italian cities smell like. To give you a little feeling of old Naples, Napoli, Michelangelo's renowned David and perfect replica towers 17 feet tall on Gimbel's street floor. Yes, visit old Italy in Gimbel's these days. Italian-made and Italian-inspired treasures are available. Gimbel's is Italy. Italy is Gimbel's. They're in Gimbel's Italia Romantica. That, yeah. I wonder if there's a department store in Milan that has reproduced Indianapolis on its ground floor. And somewhere there's an announcer saying, Come, come to, come to our box, and visit old Indianapolis in Indiana. Yes, you can visit Victory Circle. <laughs> we are really something in this country, I'll tell you. <laughs> now we've got a few more things here. Let's see what else we got. Uh, oh yes, uh, this whole this all this stuff about Evelyn Wood and the reading clinic. Boy, are they loading me with commercials these days. Evelyn Wood, if you have trouble reading, friends, and I'm sure that many of you do, if uh, you find that it takes you four and a half hours to read 17 pages and your lips move while you read, you know, uh, <laughs> and your or your thumb moves along with it. It keeps going down the lines. Well, the Evelyn Wood Reading Institute will teach you how to read in no time at all flat. You'll be able to read the whole... When the papers come back, you'll be able to read even the editorial pages of the of the Times and understand them. You'll be able to go through C.L. Sulzberger, even, and know what he's saying in those blockbuster phrases. 
and they would like to demonstrate their reading techniques, which have been used by the late President Kennedy's cabinet. I don't know whether I'd admit that, but they did. And uh, here's your chance to really whip through the Reader's Digest next month like nobody's business. Uh, you can see a demonstration of the Evelyn Wood technique Tuesday. That's, uh, let's see, this is Tuesday, isn't it? Wednesday and Thursday, December 21st, 22nd, and 23rd at 5.30 and 7.30. If you want to reserve a seat, it's TN72950. It is legit, in spite of the fact I'm making whoopies here about it. Now, let's see. We, we have another thing in there. Let's see. Reading, gimbals, valentine. We have another ore box coming up later, right? Okay, what is that one about? Uh, do you have another ore box in there? Oh, it's just a little bitty one. It says, if you say you can't afford Paris, ore box says you can. Come and see great fashion, beautifully priced, beautifully copied in Paris's own fabrics at Orbox. They're on a real kick there. Paris and all that. Now, one other thing, we have a column to read to you. You know, it's very almost impossible to do a radio show with this with this strike on, so we, we're just kind of giving up. And uh, we'll we'll read to you what Red Smith has to say now today. And uh, let's see, what's Red? Do I know Red Smith? Yeah, I met him once in two chores. Sort of looked at me with a funny look in the eye. And uh, I doubt whether Red Smith would give me much mention in his column, but I'll read Red Smith here. He says, Vox Populi, riding out Wisconsin on the same... Do you want to hear about what's going on in Milwaukee in connection with the Braves, any of you? I don't feel like it. I guess the station feels that many people want to hear it, so I'll read a little bit about it. What he's... Somebody put up a sign that says, Boo, I'm a Met fan. <laughs> I don't blame you. You know, uh, it's it's a it's a funny story. This business of of, uh, of the Braves moving out of Milwaukee, and uh, uh, everybody around the country is trying to make it look like baseball is just expanding. You know, it's a great thing. And here's what Red Smith says about it. He says, "Riding out Wisconsin, I don't know why he means riding out Wisconsin on the San Francisco Giants' last day in town." The cab driver said, "This was the first break in weather the Braves have got on a Sunday all season." Weekends have been rotten, he said, and if there was a night game, it seemed the skies clouded up and got threatening always about 5 o'clock. So on top of everything else, he says, they didn't figure to draw any crowds. Everybody knows how the town feels about them quitting, and for what? Can you imagine anyone quitting on a city that puts over 900,000 in the park for a second division team? And Red Smith goes on to tell, uh, in, in long, involuted prose, that everybody is very mad in Milwaukee that the Braves are leaving, and they blame it on Bobby Bracken, who was merely the manager and had nothing to do with it. He says that's the way people always are. <laughs> so, nevertheless, that's the gist of the column, and that's all I'm going to read of Red Smith, because I don't think most people here in town are particular. I did Orbox again. That's two. I did two of them, Derek. You want three? There are three of them? I can't follow what you're saying. That doesn't. I know I did two Orbox, and you're going to say I have three of them. Uh-huh. We'll wait till the sign is put up there. This is the worst radio show I've done in years. Yes, dear. Oh, I did Gimbal, and I did Orbox. There are two Orbox. Well, I've only got one piece of... You mean Gimbal's and Orbox are two different places? Well, I've got the... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Here it is. It says, say Paris to a tourist, and he'll say Eiffel Tower. Well, it depends on the tourist, Fred. I know what some tourists say when you say Paris. But I guess copyrighters, <laughs> tourists say Eiffel Tower. Say Paris to a woman, and if she's, if she's smart, she'll say Orbox. Oh, yeah? Orbox Paris 
copies, all in the designer's own fabrics. So uh, they're all true to the originals. Only the prices tell the difference, and they're copies. Prices are at Orbox low. It says Paris at Orbox. If you're smart, you'll see it today. What is this? What is all this? Okay. Fine. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm having fun with the commercials. I think people are accepting it out there, and I'm not fooling around. There's Paris is at Orbox these days, friends. Now, let's see. What else do we have to do here? Uh, on the other hand, uh, when I was in, in Peru, and I'm going to go back to Peru now tonight, uh, I had the occasion to ask people in Peru, you know one of the big problems today in Peru uh, is television. Uh, believe it or not, it's even more of a problem than it is here. In fact, this is a problem that's sweeping throughout most of Latin America. The people have become addicted to television. Uh, we may be hung up on it, and large numbers of people may spend their days watching television, but one of the problems that's recently begun to be felt throughout Latin America is the problem of millions of people in terrible slum conditions devoting almost all of their income and every little bit, including what they should be spending on medical uh, expenses, one thing and another, on that big one-eyed monster in the corner. Did you know about this problem in Latin America? And, and they, they, uh, they found that, that uh, millions of people have become sort of drugged by it, and they sit by the hour just watching television, hour after hour after hour, and they quietly fall apart, really, in front of the TV set. It's a fascinating problem. Uh, in fact, I'll tell you, when I, I, I saw a few of the more, uh, uh, well, they're the kind of slums that you and I in America wouldn't even, can't even comprehend in certain areas of, uh, of, of Latin America. Recently, when I visited down there, particularly Peru is the only place I really was, really saw much. And I was astounded to see little TV aerials sticking out of this tiny pile of junk which was piled up over a hole in the adobe there and somebody was living really in a cave and a little thing up there uh, some of the sad sights I saw and yet uh, you know poverty is something that many people in Latin America can't escape from there is a chance for most people in America in one way or another but uh, theirs is almost inescapable and I I, uh, I remember the day that we drove out uh, three of us decided to, to go out and see some of the Incan ruins just outside of Lima and drive straight I believe it was north it's hard to, to orient myself with the directions down there, but I believe we drove straight north out of Lima and drove along the sea for a while, and suddenly we're in the desert. And I mean desert, just almost instantly you're in the desert, that a uh, uh, desert that kind of lows, uh, kind of dips down to the ground and crawls up slowly towards the Andes. And this is, an, is not the Lawrence of Arabia desert. This is not the kind of desert that you see in widescreen technicolor. It was a gray, you know, you, you know the, the term they used to use, tattletale ash gray? This is a gray, sinister-looking desert. It looked like volcanic ash or something. And it just lay there uh, with, with, with a kind of cold wind blowing in from the ocean. And you always think of a desert as being hot. Well, can you imagine a cold, clammy desert with the wind blowing in? <laughs> wow. And we drove further and further and further through this desert, and it got more and more desolate and bleak and you would see an occasional man coming down the hillside with a goat following him or you would see someone a, a peasant struggling along the road with a gigantic load of something on his or her back ancient women struggling through this this uh this 
place, this weirdly uh, spooky, scary place. And at the same time, you know, it had a, a very definite appeal. Now, maybe the appeal was only to people who live almost exclusively in the urban area of New York, who live in an area which is largely tamed, uh, who live in, in a country like America, which is generally lush and green and has water and has sunshine and one thing or another. But we found this, most of it, we were sitting there looking out, in the, out of the car window, this ancient cab that we're rattling along in, and there was a man from Switzerland with us. And he was in the car. There were four of us. And we were going out to see the Incan ruins and being taken by a Peruvian. And he was describing the sights as we went. And I noticed the this, this Swiss. Uh, Switzerland is a, is a country that is almost like a jewel. Uh, Switzerland has uh, magnificent mountains. Uh, you've probably all read and heard and know what Switzerland looks like. And this guy was looking out at this countryside with his mouth hanging open. He, he, you could see he could not even comprehend this kind of country. He's looking out. His eyes are as big as saucers. And I knew that anything he would see in the Incan ruins would not even come up to just the countryside. That long, gray sea of, uh, of uh, uh, kind of vaguely moving, involuting dunes that stretch to the barren Pacific. He's just looking, just looking like that. And somebody had, had written on the side of one of the, one of the hills. Now, these hills were good-sized hills, maybe five and 600 feet. They, they just laid up there. They were completely barren. No, no, no undergrowth, nothing, no cactus, just great gray mounds of this gritty sand. And somebody had written a gigantic phrase on the side of one of these things, had just gouged it out. And it was, it was a slogan. It was a communist slogan. And somebody had gouged it out on the side of this strange desert-like mountain. And uh, one of the first things I asked when I, I got down there was, you know, what was going on in the, uh, in the world of communism. You know, most people in Peru, for your information, at least the ones I found and, and uh, various reporters I asked there, that Peru, most Peruvians really like Americans. They, this is one country where Americans are welcome. They like them. Uh, you don't go all up and down the streets and they say, Yankee, go home and all this jazz. They, they, they dig Americans. And yet, uh, up in the hills, as you've probably been reading in the news and hearing in the news, excuse me, there are problems all along the Andes. There's all kinds of Castroite uh, activities going on. And everybody in town, of course, they talk about this and they kind of shrug it off. And they say once in a while, one of these bands, one of these groups will strike a small village in the Andes. And, and uh, it's, as though, it's as though the country is divided into great bands of people. On the other on the other side of the, the picture, on the other end of the, the scale, you might say. Uh, way out in the jungle, uh, here you have the Indians who are Peruvians. Uh, they live in the country who have absolutely not only no contact with all that world, but in most cases don't even know it exists. And then you have large numbers of people living in, in Lima who have no uh, concern or involvement with the people who live in the mountains. It's great bands of country all poured together in some kind of a strange mold. Well, well the, the moment we landed, uh, arrived in our car in that windswept, barren place uh, that is now the, where the remains of the Incans are. You know, it's, it's peculiar to just see bones sticking up out of the sand. Yeah, after all these centuries, the, the Incans' bones are still there. 
And there's no there's no tourist facilities. Nobody's, you know, they don't sell pennants. I seen the Incas. Nothing like that. By the way, do you know that they have a drink that is sold all over Peru called Inca Cola? <laughs> I mean, you know, Inca Cola. And you see this sign every place you go. What a strange country. One of the one of the most fascinating countries I think I've ever seen. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.